Not sure about you, Clay, but Futures End was giving me very big enterprise vibes. Felt like a proto enterprise episode here. We got a, we have a lot of similar things going on uh, with what eventually we will cover in enterprise. Although in our own time travel version of the podcast, we've already covered enterprise, and so now we're going back into the future or whatever. But um, besides the temporal mechanic, is it wasn't the temporal cold. Do they mention the temporal cold war in this or the prime directive they mentioned, right? Temporal prime directive. Uh, yes. The temporal prime directive, which is the, probably the, the dumbest cheat to get out of ending the show I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone on Voyager continues to be not uh, very nonplussed when they're told that they can't get home right now and they're going to have yeah. to continue. Yeah. You know, I actually thought the funniest part of this, this two, two parter, which, while it did give me Enterprise vibes, and I, I kind of wish that they had kept this guy and just made this guy Daniels in Enterprise, right. it would have been kind of fun. <laughs> um, I was getting some intense flashbacks to season two of Picard. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. I So I I guess that's uh, you've almost shocked me into reminding me, like, I thought this was a really linchpinny, if that's the right word, episode for the franchise. I felt yeah. like I could see the past and the future right in front of me in a very thematic way. Yes, actually almost literally split by episodes, which I, I would like to get into. But uh, I was going to say, I thought the funniest part was when um, Janeway seemingly completely oblivious to, to her own past was like, ah, I just never wanted to get into these time travel shenanigans, and now I'm finally here. And I'm like, it's yeah. happened at least three times. Yeah. <laughs> it's the. Um, Remember when you died once? <laughs> More than your once? Your doppelganger appeared in yeah. a different version. Remember when you, you, you were part of like an eco terrorism thing? <laughs> yep. Or that Romulan that could have sent you home was from 20 years in the past. Yeah. All that yep. stuff. Yeah. The. Um, well, maybe we'll get into it. Let me read all these blurbs. There's a lot of blurbs to get through. This is Future's End, which is the eighth and ninth episode of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. We're going to be covering it in one podcast, this doubleheader, as we usually do when there is a two-parter within a season. came out on November 6, 1996. The first part did, anyway. Arc is one of three of the Future's End arc. Interesting. Oh, boy. Written by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, directed by David Livingston, in universe date 50312.5, which is 2373, also 1996, sweet, and 1967, less sweet. After Wait, encountering... So if this is... are both Do both of these episodes count as part one of three, or is part one, part one, part two, part two, and then there's part the three is... to be determined, yeah. Okay, when they just bring it up casually in conversation. Yes, I then... think so. I think Ensign Kim is going to mention this in the season <clears throat> finale or something. After encountering a Federation time ship from the future, Voyager is sent back to 20th century Earth. Future's End Part 2 is the ninth episode. It came out the 13th of November, 1996. Two of three in the Future's End arc, written by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, directed by Cliff Bowl in Universe Date 503 which is 2373, and only 1996. It didn't go to 67. In Part 2, Janeway tries to prevent Henry Starling, which is a great name, from launching the time ship without altering the past um where do we want to start with this one uh i want to start by asking why this is the only story they know how to tell when they go back to the present time you mean as in 1996 the present time of the production yes yes yeah i i so to to talk about what you're saying you're seeing the past and and the future the first half of this just felt like a rehash for the millionth time of Star Trek Four. Yeah, yeah, and I it I don't know why this is the only story they know how to tell because it's like it's almost like beat for beat the same story. Even you know it's I don't know I wasn't really getting anything worthwhile out of them doing this thing again. Except except instead of Spock being dressed like a new age weirdo, Tuvok is dressed like a. <laughs> <laughs> a black guy from a 90s comic book. <laughs> Very with a little bit of bagginess. Yeah, it's uh you know it's not not 1984 or whenever Voyage Home came out. It is 1996, clearly. Uh, th- that was my um my big thing from like I didn't really like this two-parter um at all. So like my 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 big thing with the first one was that 
it's very hard to tell if they're parodying 90s fashion or if this was what things were like in 1996 in LA. Yeah. <laughs> it's so well, like they're the the thing that was funny too is they're they're clearly putting things over the top to the point where Chicote's like, oh, I guess uh, things are really different around this yeah. time. And I'm like, you live with aliens. Right. Why do why, <laughs> why do Mohawks weird Mohawks. you out? You live with you live with with Neelix. Right. He's got a Mohawk all the time. Yeah. He just has a hairstyle that's in a Mohawk, basically. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with that. It, it's um I it just felt like uh it's so hard to determine where the fashion ended or where it didn't or like what was a choice and what wasn't a choice in this. Um, it, it's hard for me. Like I know that our, our uh, that Ferengi episode that we did, False Prophets, posted somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. And in that episode, we had been talking about uh, the tone because we'd watched The Price before that. And now uh, and I was talking about how Voyager seems to have a different tone. And someone posted on posted on YouTube about it saying something that I don't even know if it's true, but it sounds true to me, emotionally true, is that Voyager has the tone of ninety of ninety Saturday genre shows like Hercules and Xena, and mm. I think that's true. I don't even know those shows, but I think I understand that that person is picking up what I'm putting down, basically. Which yeah. and I felt that all the way through this two-parter it's like a i don't want to rehash that conversation but it's just like i was trying to picture how this episode would play if the tng crew was in it instead right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i just can't help feeling that voyager is voyager does that 90s saturday genre tv thing where it's like it it it, that's where Mulgrew had that line about like, boy, I don't understand these time travel episodes. It's like aware of itself as to what yeah. it is, and it makes it seem stupid and sort of like, like the the show doesn't take itself seriously is my way of thinking about it. And, and this whole thing just kind of felt like it's a rehash of Star Trek Four. The tone is too weird. It just feels like any other sci-fi show from the 90s at this point, if you went back to yeah. 1996 and this would be like... I don't know. It, it, I have a real hard time getting past all that stuff, and I don't think, feel that the Voyager plots ever get to a point where I'm like, okay, it's like it's interesting enough where I can get past all that stuff and enjoy the story because this one just felt like... I, if you had asked me, if you had said the crew goes back to 1996 and they fight evil Bill Gates, this would have been my plot outline of what happens in the episode. Right, right. It's There's nothing... So, well... <laughs> Let me let me minus let me the Timothy that. McVeigh uh, scenes. I yeah, think. I was gonna say. <laughs> so we're a little removed from 1996. To, 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 this is all kind of in the same pocket of 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 how the past and the future are split, or the uh, the past and the future of Star Trek are split among these ep- across these episodes. Because the first episode, yes, incredibly formulaic, incredibly, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Uh, like the only kind of interesting beat is that. It's sort of like an update of the chariots of the gods thing where it's like, oh, why did the computer revolution happen? Because someone brought technology from the future. That's kind of fun. So also um, sort of a rehash of that TNG episode where the same thing happens. Where it's a, a time- Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. fucking Star Trek Four, they invent transparent aluminum. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's nothing new. Yeah. But then ep- part two happens and it gets completely insane. Mm-hmm. Like this goes directly into modern star trek where you've got um <laughs> this the shuttlecraft blowing up a, a an 18 wheeler <laughs> with a guy inside it who's gonna run over uh paris you've got this weird subplot where <laughs> chakotay and torres get kidnapped by like ruby ridge guys yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> off screen off screen, the cops show up, and then Tuvok shows up and phasers everybody. <laughs> it's very much like it's, a it's Reservoir insane. Dogs, the ending of Reservoir Dogs. It's, yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is so fucking weird. Like it just and and on top of that, I don't know what they did to change the future because what the idea was that this guy went into the future and caused this explosion that wiped out the solar system somehow yeah and 
Voyager was somehow involved. I'm not totally sure. I don't know if it was totally made clear how Voyager was involved in that explosion. Because of the debris? You mean like they find the debris Yeah, because they find pieces. Yeah, whatever. And so like... Did they did they win because they blew him up before he got into the the time hole? I think so. That timeline never happened, and that's why that guy is from another timeline when he shows up at the end, right? So it like yeah, it I never guess. Ha- it never happens. I, I don't guess think. I just I just don't know. So like if I I feel like we had a similar problem with 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 Picard season two, right? Yeah, yeah. because there's a there's a there's a logic thing miss bit missing where I don't know when they realize what they have to do differently. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that's keeping me from like totally grokking exactly what happens with this plot. Not that it really fucking matters, but it's it like I I got so confused by the 29th and 24th century of it all. Yeah. I, like I kept thinking like why why does this guy why does he keep getting one up? Why does he keep one upping Voyager? Oh wait, oh he's got technology from 300 years in the future from voyager this is kind of hard for me to to track (laughs) and then he's like i've already stripped this ship for parts as much as i can now i'm gonna fly it into the future (laughs) i don't know i I hate the villain i know know oh he's terrible he's he's terrible Anytime you have a villain who's wearing a polo tucked into his Levi's, it's like yeah. this is not going to go. Like, like I can, I can understand the 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 Bill Gates analogy yeah. if you pushed his look further, but he just looks like my dad looked in 1996. Yeah, yeah, he does. Which it's the it's the not that I knew what your dad looked, but I like he does. He just looks. Everything is so like undesigned in a weird way. It's in like I the villain. There's, Sorry, go ahead. Go well, ahead. to go back to your point about just like the the timiness of it. So I, I had a different reaction, really, which is that Picard season two, it was almost difficult for me to ignore the mechanics of what they were talking about because they talked about it like incessantly during right. that show. Yes. So all you were prone to do was go like, none of this makes any sense. I wish the characters right. would stop talking about it. Voyager, I think, at least to its credit, doesn't even really try to explain what's happening in it. Yeah. You're just for the ride, I think. That's yeah. the way I watched it. And so the the mechanics of it didn't really bother me. I was more struck by how it felt like it was seeding the ground for a lot of ideas that would come after an Enterprise and Picard down the road. Like it oh, felt definitely. like prototypes yeah. of those ideas. Yeah, I was just getting hung up on on the fact that like everything that they did seemed to be in line with what causes the explosion like they get sucked back into 1996 and then they they right. meet this guy and they, yeah. and they engage with him but there's no point where you find out what they have done differently that changes the future other than blowing him up which i mean I'm, i don't know i guess that's enough but yeah um uh yeah but yeah just going back to the way that uh sterling is dressed it reminded me a lot of um when the when the publicity for blade runner 2049 came out yep and you've got Ryan Gosling in this like unbelievable cool updated version of the Blade Runner jacket and he's mm-hmm. got this like awesome lighting and then they have him standing next to Rick Deckard coming back for the first time in 30 years what's he going to wear he's wearing a gray t-shirt some <laughs> jeans and like new balance sneakers like it was, like it was and that's they made a toy of that too you can buy a Harrison Ford toy where it shirt. looks like he is on his way to the very Walmart you bought that toy at. It's consistent. That's I guess it's you know once you get to that point, you're, once you're comfortable, once Stan Stan Stanwell is comfortable, he just wears it. I have to imagine in Blade Runner uh, that was part of the deal is that he was like, I'll be in it, but I get to wear my own clothes to the set, and I'm not wearing any weird shit. <laughs> what was it in? Uh, Ridley Scott's A Good Year, that Russell Crowe movie where it's just like, oh, well, yeah. as long as we can film it near my house in France, I'll, I'll do whatever yes, you want. Yes, <laughs> But it's always, that being said, I always enjoy seeing Ed, Beg- Ed Begley Jr. He's always fun. Yeah. Uh, nice to see him playing the drums at the beginning. Yes. After all, he was the original drummer in, st- in Spinal Tap, John yeah. Stampy Peeps. <laughs> it's good to just yeah revisit the things that made you famous. And uh, Sarah Silverman is in this one. Yes. Um, Sarah Silverman, uh, definitely given a performance. Yeah, and uh, dressed the way that all women were. All women on TV were dressed in the '90s, yeah. which is that they were not allowed to wear shirts that reached their belts. 
<laughs> All the better for us. No, no under boob, unfortunately, unlike false prophets in this one. It's just a tight <laughs> t-shirt. Yeah, she's. It's all fine. Um, you know, it's it's hard to watch an episode like this, like because she was not obviously not Sarah Silverman that we know her today right, as. Right, right, so yeah. it's like you, it doesn't it doesn't come across as gimmick or anything. It's just this was does not look she like she has aged at all. Like she looks exactly the same. Yeah, her face is face is pretty much. The same. I doubt she's wearing the same T-shirts at this point, but she, her face, she, she, because it is what twenty-five years ahead yeah. now, so it's been a while. Yeah. Um, I thought, what else is there? What is else there to really say about this one? Like the, um, yeah, it's kind of a jumble conversation, but it's like the ending is another underwhelming. Like they just shot him with a photon torpedo. <laughs> Yeah, I thought and then that like, was funny. He goes, it "Oh was, shit!" And then he gets, yeah, stuck. he was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't totally tracking why it was dangerous for a Janeway to do that, and then it just like blew blew up in her face, sort of. <laughs> and she got knocked <laughs> she, out. She, I don't know. She got a Gorbachev birth uh, birthmark yeah. on her face when it was all said like done. even. I feel like the energy of the whole thing is summed up by the ending when they talk to the to the future guy and they're like, "Can you can you bring us home?" And he's like, "Nah, temporal prime directive." And then Jane was just like, "Ah, yeah. all right, damn it, yeah, yeah." Back, back to where we started. It's a like, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you if you wanted to. I'm I'm just sort of stuck on it. Like now that I've noticed this tone thing. Mm-hmm. I have a really hard time with the show and I don't know what the solution is. It's just like to rehash it. It's just like TNG felt artificial, but it's artificialness is what kind of gave it like a little charm to it. Sure. And Voyager is just like, you know, you got like Tuvok and a do-rag and Tom Paris wearing like a wife beater <laughs> and they're walking around and it's the it's, weirdest group of people. <laughs> it's just none of it is like I don't even feel Tuvok is sort of bound to act like Tuvok, but I felt like no one when they got to the planet was continuing to act like a Starfleet officer anymore. It just it, it all felt like I it it re, the the most interesting thing about it is about the way that they act is this it has continued this trend of Chakotay being willing to to peace out and stay wherever he is at the drop of a fucking hat. Yeah. Like in this, like he just starts talking about like, yeah, do you ever think about staying in 1996 Torres? And she's like, I'm a Klingon. No. (laughs) It's like, you get a nice place in Montana. Well, you know, I could hire you to do some work around the farm. (laughs) What are you talking about? As a nice, yeah, a nice little bonding scene, I guess, between those two, which is uh, stuff we don't get. Yeah. It's, um, you know, like, wasn't there a homeless person in Picard season two? Like, j- just the, the tracking down that the temporal captain who's become a homeless guy in, the, in 1996 was very funny to me. Um, the cop scene was hysterical for some reason where he, like, tries to, he's like. They, that was weird. So odd. I, it's so I, odd. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if it's just, like, the the the, the temperature of current events. Yeah, I was expecting like, that guy to <laughs> fuck him up. <laughs> I thought they were going to shoot him. Yes. I thought the cops were going to shoot him and kill him. And like I'm I'm go doing the math in my head where it's like, well, I mean, I can see it in the mid 90s maybe that they do that and it's not quite as incendiary as it is now, but I mean, there's also, I mean, uh Rodney King. Uh, Rodney King was a couple years before this. Yeah. I mean, I I was I was trying when they got to the thing with the um uh the survivalist guys, I was like, wasn't wasn't Oklahoma City like right around this time and it was it was the year before yeah it's all that's the that's what's so weird about those two sequences is that the cop confronts him in a way that you narratively even if you if you weren't in the zeitgeist of this it feels like a confrontation is going to happen and also yeah it feels like the time traveler has to die to stick them there you know right right which they kind of imp- i mean they don't re- do we He's see him die? He it. gets chased away, right? No, the yeah, the they chase him away, and I, they kind of chase him out of the, out of the story. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, so I think the cop thing, and I think also the the survivalist thing, kind of um, <clears throat> puts a point on it too, where it's like, uh, 
They wanted Picard this to be a four-episode arc, if that helps you understand oh, what's going on. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's that's literally season two of Picard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, does, it doesn't do what Picard was trying to do and failed at, which is add some sort of relevance to the story and, like, the overall um, <clears throat> morality and juxtaposition of future people in the past that's not there in this and i think that's what makes everything feel so weird because like the cops show up almost like a interact aggressively with this guy and um janeway and chakotay act like two rich white people who yeah, don't want to deal trying with to the buy, cops. Trying to, trying to score some dope or something off yeah, this guy. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to buy drugs off the homeless guy, and they're just like, I don't know who this guy... Like, they don't even talk to them. No. The cop does not even address them. Right. And yeah. so, like... And it's this thing where it's like, there's no... There's nothing in this where any of these people from the future are taken aback by anything that's going on in this period of time like there's no social commentary whatsoever no they're they're actually more interested in a vo- in the voyager specialty which is that the technology is the most interesting thing yes to them. yeah yeah and even there even there like the closest they get is talking about how there was this technological boom but they don't go into what that means or or anything like that or what this paradox uh could how this paradox could reverberate or anything. It's just like, yeah, no, it's the mid nineties and there's computers. And isn't that crazy? I, like there's no, I, yeah, go ahead. Like, like it's, it's like, <laughs> I'm surprised they, they didn't have a moment where they're like, you're telling me they're sending CDs with the internet to every household in America. Oh my God. They can, they must be stopped. Like there's, n- yeah. there's nothing. It's just, they don't talk about it at all. There's no, there's nothing grounding the story to 1996 other than, isn't it weird how we all have cell phones now? Well, th- th- I that's what to me didn't work at all about the villain plot is that. Yeah. So am I wrong here? Like the the future that they're running into is not an adjusted technological future. That's legitimately our 1996, right? Yes. So that's what feels wrong to me is that like this incredible technology from the future has not really substantially changed what we would perceive like they're not going into a changed past that they have affected because of what they did with the time traveler pilot guy right right. it just feels like you know he made microsoft and this is what and just we'll get it out of the way now the series the franchise continues to just say that the eugenics war is happening somewhere else as opposed to wherever we <laughs> yeah. are at the time um, think about think about between this and picard season two right like the eugenics war has to happen after this so after 1996 but before 2023 right and it's so devastating but we recover yes. quite comfortably on both sides of the, the yes the sine curve the other th- the other thing about the villain is that because his technology was at a 1996 level, which is like AOL CDs in the mail and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I I had I, w- I found it was laughable that he was a threat to Voyager at all, even though he had 29th yeah. century technology. That's why it kept I could not gr- grasp onto it because it felt so out of place and out of weird out of place and weird. Yeah, he's on. 28.8 dial-up and he downloads like half of Voyager's <laughs> files <laughs> and they That's, can't yeah. stop him like I couldn't I couldn't figure out like so okay he's using this technology to bring the 20th century technology f- like leaps and bounds forward but also his personal office has 29th century technology that's how he's doing this i guess yeah because he also has a hologram emitter yes right <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got the shuttle bay in the back office and he has a hollow emitter for the doctor yeah like and then they try to they try to transport him and he's got like a, a somehow he knows how to work his tricorder to block the transport like he's doing shit in the beam they can see he's like twisting the knob (laughs) i don't understand how he like okay i can i can understand the the terminator of it all right where miles dyson gets his hands on the arm and the and the chip yes and they are using that to feed into other discoveries in the present day 
but they don't know how the the arm or the chip work. I can understand that. Right. I can't really it, I, and and I can understand that element in this where it's like, oh yeah, he's advancing computer technology because of stuff that they've kind of pulled from this ship. But I can't understand how he like has a mastery over 29th century technology. Correct. Right. Well, he. Yeah, that that would be my problem. He has a mastery over the stuff that allows him to beat Voyager, but not over the ship or computers in general. You know what I mean? Like he does yes. he doesn't have a supercomputer in his office that is like he's working as if he's in a Voyager, like talking to the computer and stuff like that. He just has a normal computer, but he can for some reason stop their transporters. He can create a hollow emitter and he can just repair the ship. So it, to me it just felt like they gave him a uh, like a, a perk boost whenever he needed to be a threat to Voyager, but otherwise he was just Bill Gates from 1996 in every other regard. <clears throat> yeah, and it's also, I mean, this isn't fair, obviously, to put on the show, but, like, it's... what hap- So, first of all, what happens after this guy leaves the planet and blows up? Does Are we to assume that the advancement of technology just stops? Because right. we have iPhones ten years later. Yep. Like it's 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 diff- This is a difficult one it's to sequel, watch. Clay, that'll be in yeah. season five. Yeah. This is a difficult one to watch from the point in time that we are at because of what they're positing. Yeah. Um. Like the chariots of the uh, uh, chariots of the gods element, like that thing in its original form. Uh, quote unquote makes sense because it's like yeah man we don't know how they built the pyramids and then like they never did anything like that again afterwards right you know it's like oh the technology or the methods were lost to time because they were born from extraterrestrial uh, means yeah but this one it's like no it's like phones get better right it's it's there's i don't know it just it doesn't it doesn't work when unless it was like yeah in 1996 everybody had teleporters and then all of a sudden in 1998 they were gone and we don't know what happened yeah it's you know it's it's very maybe i'm being too hard on this i don't know no it's just it's it's a weird it was distracting weird episode yeah like so it's it's so like computers obviously existed in 67 when he found it but this guy was some hippie in the woods who finds this technology and apparently no one asks him to explain how he developed this or anything like right. that. Like, where did this come from? How do you use it? It was just so, it's so uneven. And that's why I think that if they had altered the past where they get back there and they're like, oh my God, we weren't supposed to have iPhones in 1996. Like what has happened to the the timeline or whatever? Maybe that would be a little bit more interesting and it would give you a, a feasible villain who could be technologically advanced enough to challenge voyager at that but point. there though but there then you get into to picard season two territory because if you go back to 1996 and they have like fios fiber optic cable right. or whatever yeah. then you then have to go back even further to prevent them from getting it so it just right, complicates right. I things see, I see what you mean. yeah yeah it to, complicates to reset things. the timeline you can't yes, break you it to, after the point yeah right you know you have to go back to when biff gets the almanac yeah um, so it, it, it makes it more complicated, but uh, I, and this clearly, I mean, like, I don't, I think this one was definitely a, let's just have some fun in the 20th century kind of episode. Like, I don't, it's probably not meant to be thought about as critically as we're doing, but this Voyager does, all, Voyager seems to be doing a lot of, let's just have fun episodes. That's. The thing that's so strange about this show is it's let's just kind of have fun, don't worry about it episodes that are just dripping in techno babble, trying to justify the crazy, stupid shit they're doing. Like it's like they're trying to make it seem like it's important by by talking crazy nonsense on top of it, but yeah. it, uh, otherwise it's just like, yeah, what if Tom Paris just like is really into B movies for a while? And it's yeah. like, okay, okay, cool, excellent, yeah, worth the time. Doesn't not even you know that relationship doesn't even really go anywhere ultimately. That man, okay, talk about like formulaic. Uh, we just got to write something. Dialogue at the end. At the end, when Paris is about to leave, and he and Sarah Silverman have their moment, and he says, uh, uh, "I've never met anyone quite like you." I was like, "Give me a fucking break, guy." <laughs> <laughs> 
She's like, why? Because she because she likes Roger Corman movies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She's an ast- or she's an astronomer or whatever she is. Yeah. yeah. Like there's not there's no like grand love story here or anything. No. And I'm and there wasn't even there wasn't even a moment where she was like, can I go with you or anything? You know, no. like I was I kept waiting for that element of it, but that never comes up. Like he never tells her what's going on. So I don't know. Like there wasn't really anything. She was basically just there to drive them around for two hours. Yeah, I was mostly impressed by the uh, her continued pursuits when Tom Paris would not say yes to any of her suggestions about they hang out in the future at any yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> Get a take a hint, lady. Yeah, you know she she's she spends all her time in the observatory. You know, yeah, you got you got she needs to observe reality around her, not just what's through a little telescope. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, and then if you if you, you get take the, the shot, and you, yeah, you just you just keep hitting the post. It's good relationship. Don't stop but. shooting. It's good relationship advice for all our younger listeners. Yeah, um, yeah that, I mean that was silly. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else goes on with any of the characters. Um, you know. It's another thing of maybe Voyager having... Uh, the Doctor gets his hollow emitter, so Clay, you predicted when the Doctor will be able to walk around outside of sick oh, bay, and it's now. I, okay. So is this entire episode just to get him to that point? At least the second part is, because is he even in the first part? He only appears in the second part, doesn't he? I can't remember. I don't know when the split uh, is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, the the first part ends with them downloading the, the, the Doctor. Yeah, and... Also, did you catch the little callback to that other stupid episode where they wiped his memory at the end? Oh, yeah, when he's like, yeah, I'm just kind of getting my memories back. I don't yeah, really know yeah, where I've I'm been. I'm at 95% or something, whatever he's talking about. So that was that was great. Um, the, the doctor is, you know, it even goes to how stupid the, whatever that Starling or whatever that guy's name is, when he tortures the doctor, it doesn't even, it's like, it's just a throwaway scene, interestingly. Yeah. It's, Why does he know how to do that? I don't know. He's, he has better hollow emitters, I guess. So, okay, speaking of the hollow emitters, right? I'm assuming that's something that he took off of the ship. Like it's 29th so, century yes. technology. Yeah. Why is it the temporal prime directive that they can't relocate you in space, but it's fine if you keep a 29th century hollow emitter for your doctor? Sorry, so, uh, I think I missed this. So w- when the 29th century temporal police can't find you? Yeah. So when, when, when they show up at the end yep. and they're like, can you can you bring us back to the Alpha Quadrant because we're stuck in the Delta Quadrant? He's like, no, I can't. Temporal Prime Directive. Oh, right. I can't change anything. Why can't they, why can't they change that, but they don't mind if they keep 29th century <laughs> technology? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good question. Because one 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 thing the plot demands, the other thing the plot does not demand. I think, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> the, the time cops. It's uh, you. You'd think that Enterprise would have learned its lesson from this guy. Been like, this is a difficult concept to pull off. Yeah, maybe we should put some thought into this. Although I, you know, the time cop is kind of ridiculous, but. I did love the fact that it was a little tiny ship and it kicked the shit out of Voyager. I thought that was yes, funny. That was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, they, they should do. They should do more of that kind of thing. Um, also, like, so the time cop comes out of the thing at the beginning, right? And then he immediately fires on Voyager. Yeah. And then Voyager's like, "Hey, what's going on?" He's like, "I have to destroy you because you." go into a t- temporal portal and you cause an explosion in the 29th century that uh is going to destroy the solar system and and it's like okay great why don't we just like talk about this right instead of you f- forcing the thing to happen yeah that you are trying to saying stop. is going to happen because if it's already happened you should have a record of what happened <laughs> <laughs> write this down use your advanced uh 29th century note taking like app. shouldn't you have record of this starling guy and how all of a sudden he jumped technology up by well, leaps and that, bounds in the mid 90s and then disappeared when he flew into space well then the it goes to the timeline building? then it goes to the problem of did that timeline ever exist because voyager never allowed it to exist for that guy in the future you know what i mean sure like you you, yeah. you run into the I know it's all stupid time. It's all logic. it's all bullshit. I, and just to to beat my favorite horse about the tone, 
Um, I could not imagine a TNG or DS9 episode where the ship getting sucked into the vortex looks like it does in this episode where Voyager gets sucked into the vortex. There's something, there's something that they lost with the models, right? Where they, they mm. could not do that stuff with the models. And now because it's CG, they do it all the time. And it makes everything look silly when it happens. You know? Like, yeah. just in like TNG and DS9 and TOS even, they would never really get sucked into the event horizon. It was always the danger of what happening. And if they did get sucked in, they would never show the ship being sucked into it because they couldn't do it. And for some right. reason, it just made it feel better. That that wasn't the case. Voyager, the ship is like corkscrewing through space as it gets pulled into this thing, and it just makes it come out across like a Saturday morning cartoon. By the end of it, it just feels like it's silly. I don't know. I, I've heard. I, I really feel distracted by this difference in how the show approaches things, and I'm I'm probably going to continue harping on it. Hopefully not for too much longer, <laughs> but it is something I find I find it distinctly different from the other shows. It's um, yeah, like. Amy watched this one with me where she was reading and she would kind of look up from her book when she ended. She's like, the only thing that's serious about this show is the theme song. And I was like, <laughs> I was like it's true. The, the, the theme song is too good for the show, interestingly. It like implies yeah. this sort of like grandiose adventure. And the episodes themselves are just kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, they need like the Lower Decks theme song for this or something. Yes. Yeah, Although but- even, I mean, part of the joke is that the Lower Decks theme song is overly you know, uh, dramatic to go with the silliness of what the show is. They're going through a lot of dramatic shit in the opening credits of Lower Decks is Borg right, attacks. Right. And- yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a very strange tone. Um, jeans and a polo. That's what this tone is. Jeans and a polo and a pinball machine. Although Ed Bagley pulling off some lines while not letting that pinball get past his paddles was, uh, excellent. That was, I was very, very <laughs> impressed by his pinball ability. He's better at pinball than Janeway is at future tennis. <laughs> I would have the the uh, the red the redneck Ruby Ridge militiamen scene was completely pointless, but I wanted to see more of it anyway. Yeah, I kind of find that I found that stuff. So that was something where I was like, "Oh, this is kind of interesting." I don't know why the hell it's in this episode at this point. Yeah. Just so so that Chakotay can talk about. Listen, I was a rebel once too. And yeah, so that slapped the shit out of him. That's oh, actually. Man. I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. Putting a, a, a Maquis guy in the same room with like a domestic terrorist type, right? To, to really nine, really highlight. Century. Yeah, what he potentially did as a Maquis. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like that. That's actually. I would be interested in the whole episode of that. Uh, not so much what they do here. <laughs> Does the guy when, say "Come uh, on, men"? When he when they're like running down the stairs, he says "Like come on, men," and then he stands with the machine gun next to the door. yeah, and uh, has the arguably the greatest line delivery in Star Trek history, which is when uh, there's a commotion outside, and one of them goes, "What's what's going on?" And the guy goes, "I don't know. It's a black man and some bald guy." <laughs> It was. That's exactly. It's true. What he, it was. he wasn't lying. He was. <laughs> he was telling the truth. <laughs> so, it's yeah. It's the. Uh, did they even in the Cisco? Does Cisco ever mention being black as Cisco, or does he just sort of subtly hint at? Really comes up. I don't know if he ever says the words "I'm black." I don't know. Maybe he does, and I just can't remember. But I, I thought it was remarkable just because it was. It was one, the only time that I can. So to remember that being referenced in the show, yeah. they, they do it so like overtly and strangely. Um, I did like the doctor not being able to get shot though, and then just phasering everybody. That was cool. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else about this one? Because I know we're running short on time. We got some patron thoughts to get through. Uh, I didn't really like it. I was sort of depressed that it was a two-parter because it, yeah. by the time the second one came in, I was just like, man, I want this to be over. Yeah, this is. Uh as the kids say, this isn't it. No, it's not it. Braga and Minoski wrote it too, interestingly. Um, all right, we'll just go to patron thoughts then. So patrons, patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support us there, you become a patron and you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. You get a whole bunch of extra stuff, extra podcasts on the Patreon, patreon.com slash the Penske file. So we'll go through these quickly, Clay, because mm. we have this out. So let me get your Discord screen going. I'll send you this one just because... 
uh, it's here, and then I can search out the rest of them. This is Kyle Barrett talking about Future's End. Future's End. I'm going to say three little words to you I've never said to anyone before. I like Tom. For the first time in the series, Tom Paris truly works as a character now that he's in his element, being charming in a natural way rather than sleazy, and knowledgeable without a whiff of arrogance. Once I got past the canon issues of this being set at the height of the eugenics war, I thought this two-parter was very entertaining. Voyager never got a movie, but this is close enough being an expansive story that gives everyone something to do. It may be a little shallow considering when DS9 did this sort of episode, it commented on social issues, whereas Voyager is content just to gawk at how weird the 90s were, although it almost says something with the Bill Gates figure, Stan Sitwell, being the big business version of uh, Berlinghoff Rasmussen. A missed opportunity, four missed opportunities for an X-Files crossover out of five. Mm. Patrick Seba says, Futures end. Captain Braxton's now homeless, but still pretty thick. It's Ed Begley Jr. and that groovy chick. To fashion's dismay, 90s on display, Paris needs better game if he came to sling dick. Five sensitive family traits covered in public out of five. Taxel Bear says, what if Star Trek Picard season two, what if Star Trek Picard season two was good? Or what if we did that whale film again? Worth it for Gangsta Tuvix alone. Uh, I'll send you this one. Sorry, these are the, you're getting the longer ones until I can sort this through. This is Aaron Million with Future's End. Future's End. Of the two episodes, the first one seems stronger to me. I thought the second one suffers from too many plots going at once. Starling trying to beam off of Voyager, Chakotay and Torres being captured by the anti-government nutballs, Paris and Tuvok comedy duo, Paris actually being a decent person to the girl, Kim being in charge on the bridge, the doctor beating up the security guy, and time running out. It felt like the extremist and anti-government story was shoehorned in, possibly a reaction to the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, but it didn't lead anywhere other than it was cool to see the doctor phaser both idiots into unconsciousness. It was nice to see the doctor out and about, but otherwise this smacked of, we need an episode to take place in 20th or 21st century Earth, just like TOS, TNG, Picard's Dixon Hill program, and Deep Space Nine. And unlike DS9, no social statement was really made. Three stolen time ships out of five. Man, you know, <clears throat> to talk about like how this is a vision of like future Star Trek, Yeah, I could not believe how off the chain the violence was in this like they're just <laughs> they're, there's there's a, a phaser fight in front of the observatory in broad daylight and yep. then like i said before the 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 shuttlecraft comes down and just blows the shit out of that 18 wheeler and yep. kills a dude indiscriminately Paris, Paris and, shoots the back wheel of this semi doesn't he yeah this phaser yeah yeah and then they blow that guy up they blow stan sitwell up in a, with a fa- photon torpedo like it was <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt more like modern Star Trek, where it's like, doctor oh, yeah, got no tortured just, too. Yeah. yeah, the doctor got tortured. Uh, there's a there's a shootout we don't see off screen at the at the uh, the Ruby Ridge place. Yep. Um, it's just yeah. It's f- for a for a time travel episode where usually the hallmark of these things is like, hey, maybe we don't don't we interfere. try to make as <laughs> yeah. small an impact as possible. <laughs> they are shooting lots of people in this episode. Yeah, they shot the butterfly. I think. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the the only the the you've just reminded me. I, I completely agree with all of that. It's but it was um, it it wasn't the grimy violence that we're used to from modern Star Trek. It was just this weird '90s version yeah, of violence. It was it all was very awkward. Like the, especially the eighteen wheeler thing at the end felt like it was it was like well we have to we've got nothing else for the finale of this show. We yeah. gotta blow something up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say the doctor being tortured and Stan, Stan Sitwell saying it feels like you're on fire. I thought that Picardo did a terrible job of portraying a man who's on fire. To, to just, he laid down on the ground. <laughs> We're was having like, a fire <laughs> sale. <laughs> it was not believable. Jaron Hatch says, even compared to other Star Trek time travel episodes, this one is incredibly hokey, but no one ever said hokey can't be entertaining. I did. The writers wisely decided to embrace the show's inner B-movie rather than take it too seriously. Ed Begley Jr., Sarah Silverman, homeless temporal agents, Kess and Neelix watching trash TV. We didn't talk about that scene. We'll talk about that after. Tuvok eating burritos. The doctor phasering libertarian dude bros. What's not to love? I guess I don't love that the show is starting to feel like Gilgan's Island. You know, the wacky outlandish hijinks that should get them home but invariably keep them stranded. But you take what you can get with Voyager. Four time travel episodes that aren't Carpenter Street. Out of five, 
Um, I didn't like the Keston Elix watch daytime TV stuff. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I thought I, it had potential, but yeah. I don't think it worked the way that they wanted it to. I liked the potential of it, but yeah, I, I was kind of wishing that it, it became like a running gag that every time they cut back, more people were watching it. Yes. Yeah, that, that would be that would be good. It was a little bit too on the nose with you, like, who would just sit and watch a TV show like this where you have no interaction? It's like, well, you're used right. to the holodeck, but people like to do this and watch inane shit on TV just like they're doing now. It's, it's that kind like, of thing. If you're going to set it up with that clear of a, a line, you have to pay it off by having Harry Kim do that and like yeah. having everybody yeah. else on the ship who shouldn't think this stuff is interesting just like at rapt attention about like as the world turns or whatever there's a, yeah there's a youtube edit video uh, waiting out there if there was one already about just them in the the height of the battle being distracted by like maury reruns or something like that but yeah <laughs> we'll leave that for the true youtubers justice for tune shoe says features end one and two i remember these apps being one of my favorites in the series but watching it again the dialogue is either laughable or full of techno babble and the acting is weirdly wooden across the board minus the doctor who's the mvp However, Starling's references to the internet and laptops serve as an interesting time capsule and a reminder of where the world was in 96 when it came to cutting-edge computer technology. But even in 1996, there was still no shortage of redneck dudes armed with enough firepower to make Rambo look like a peace-loving eater of tofu who were still paranoid of the federal government. It's a shame that the original plans for Rain Robinson to become a series regular didn't work out. She was going to be a regular? Sarah Silverman's guest appearance grew on me throughout the episode. Three baby blue vans out of five. That's what I'm saying. It, this feels like the end of this is supposed to be like, why don't you come to the future with us or something? Why you know, don't you look at stars with us? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get sick of them real quick. <laughs> Tuvok knows Nebula's uh, enough that he can identify one that he saw 50 years ago. So That's true. <laughs> this is real lobby with uh, Future's End. An enjoyable Star Trek romp in an otherwise mostly boring season. Tim Russ proves he's great as Tuvok in any place or circumstance. I liked the Paris Rain repartee, some good chemistry there. The Doctor scenes were also cool. I wouldn't call any of this great writing, though. Three cliched villains out of five. Yeah. Brent May says, Who knew the Voyager triggered the information age of the 90s and led to Mr. Feeney having his King Koopa speech? This is, I don't get that reference. This yeah, is a good too deep for me. <laughs> this is a good time travel episode and getting Ed Begley Jr. and Sarah Silverman made the script pay off. Great decision to make Paris come off as a huge geek. The resolution is somewhat satisfactory, although clunky, because of the number of storylines because the number of storylines explodes in part two, and the doctor gets his much dreaded freedom. Four double entendre expressions out of five. I feel like most of the performances in this were really hindered by the fact that they were shooting on location. Yeah. And so like everything clearly needed to be ADR'd. And like I oh, could not I couldn't not see it. Like especially from Sarah Silverman and uh the doctor too, where it was like I don't know if it was the sound of the, the water the fountain yeah, behind the, the fountain. doctor or something. Yeah. <laughs> but he was delivering his lines like they told him, make sure you enunciate as clearly as possible because you're gonna have to do this again later. Interesting. I was um I was wondering how much of um like a sort of mental impact it has on the actors when they are off the sets and shooting on location, how it impacts how they play the show and their characters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know like I, because I can understand Begley and Silverman are supposed to be different because they're from 1996, but it, it goes in line with I didn't think the Starfleet characters were continued to maintain their voice all the way through everything when well, i feel that they should have but I, I don't know if it's hard for an actor to do or if it works for the show that they didn't work out that way yeah i just want i want one of these episodes where they go back to the 90s and like the tom paris character who the cliche option is that he's like i don't know maybe i should stay here i wish i wish someone would be like man this sucks yeah i know well, I don't even care if it's the Delta Quadrant. Let's go back to the future because this blows. Like, even when they use the computers, I always expect more stuff have been like, why is this so slow? Like, I, I just yeah. can't imagine them being a, thinking that the computers are effective or whatever. I don't know. I, I always think about it like if I, if I got sent back to like 
1700 yeah i'd be like i'm sorry toilet paper doesn't exist i would like to go home please like yeah. it, like i don't even care how cool the rest of it is what if you met a sarah silverman uh maiden <laughs> <laughs> is her last name Sharman? <laughs> You can build an empire. You could go back with toilet paper that revolutionizes the technology of That's the true. 17th century. I, yeah, maybe I could have solved the Revolutionary War with toilet paper. This is point extra G with Future Zen. Uh, Future Zen. Tom Paris and Tuvok team up with Sarah Silverman to save the universe from Ed Begley Jr. is my all-time favorite truck plot synopsis because it sounds complete bonkers. Not all sci-fi has to be telling some great story or make you question the great things in life. Sometimes it's okay for sci-fi to just be fun. This is one of the most fun episodes in all of the Trek canon. That's enough for this viewer. I'm, you I'm guys sensing, are drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sensing uh, a bit of a split You're give, Everyone's given up. So you, you hold on to your pride, people, uh-huh. as we continue through this, this series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm... I feel that's actually, like, in all seriousness, uh, people can like what they like, but like, I do feel that the comment that these episodes are, a lot of the comments are just like, now the episodes are just going to be, like, people just having fun out there with the, with the show. Um, that's not my take on it, really. Mm. Um, depends, I guess, where you qualify as fun, but it's just, <clears throat> there's, only so, there's only so much fun you can have, I think, before things just start to change on you. Uh, <clears throat> Nick the Rat says, Kim has the bridge. This is a dream. Gotta love Earth in the 90s. Tuvok's do-rag is cool as fuck. Can't wait for the big quake of 2047. This might be the best thing Sarah Silverman has ever been in. One of my favorite Voyager episodes. Five out of five. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. That was, um, I, I, I yeah, Nick uh, wrote this, obviously, before the big earthquake that just happened in turkey right now so i was i was i was i was shaken by that's a bad plan but uh the quake of 2047 <laughs> changeling features end weird that wes and clay are reviewing a dc event comic from eight years ago but okay in this episode our crew faces off against the ultimate evil of the 90s bill gates with the ultimate weapon of the 90s tv grade cgi i kind of tuned out in the end i also tuned out in the end i have to say but yeah. i thought it was good overall although if i was on voyager i would have opted to stay behind to enjoy some of that sweet pre 9-11 america while i can three hey can you send us back to earth sorry no you still have four seasons left out of five so i was i wasn't going to admit this in case people thought less of me i um I have no idea what Janeway was doing at the end because I had stopped paying attention. So <laughs> why was she on her own at the end of the at the end of that so, thing? Uh, Sterling had disabled the weapon system on Voyager. Yeah, and so Janeway had to go down there and fire the torpedo manually. Oh, that's what she was doing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, I guess yep. that makes sense. Mm. You know, I, I was just thinking, like, it, it is, it's such an odd time in popular history, the mid-90s, because you get these jokes, like, I feel like the, the, the Bill Gates of it all is very similar to um, the, there's a Simpsons joke where I, I believe it's the Lollapalooza episode uh, where Homer makes, is talking to this, like, disaffected Gen Xer, and he makes a <laughs> reference to Apple computers, yeah. and the kid goes, what computers? And like this is like two years before Apple comes back on the scene and just right. blows everybody away. Yeah, and so it's 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 a weird point in history to see technology jokes being made, right? Because you're on the cusp of actual modern technology in the '90s, you know. Yeah. So for them to think it's impressive, like when that, yeah, because when I would have got, I got AOL in the seventh grade. How old would I, I would have? So that would have been ninety six ish, I guess, mm-hmm. around there or something around there, huh? Yeah, that's a, that's a that's not even like the internet really at that point, you know? That's very yeah. Proto. Yeah. Grapple John Zorn says, "Welp, the doctor can walk around now. Four pieces of twenty ninth century technology stolen by a twentieth century software tycoon, appropriated by a twenty fourth century hologram backdoor, downloaded through a transporter beam by an Apple two GS with a fourteen inch CRT monitor, out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Latte Librarian says, too wimey, timey, too timey wimey for my taste. Was this whole thing just a way to give the doctor his mobile emitter? Two 90s references out of five. 
Artorius says, from apocalypse cults to corporate short-sightedness, this has everything in modern America, even the current L.A. homelessness problem. There's only one guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a problem. <laughs> he was a problem. Seeing the doctor take out a group of federal agents makes you wonder why the Voyager crew didn't just storm the building in the den of night and take everything by force. On a side note, on January 16th, a Korean THAD launcher shot down a UFO. The alien invasion is coming. Or was that a time ship from the future? Three B sci-fi movies out of five. Did you see that story today? Yeah, they shot down another thing over yeah, Alaska. But they're only describing it as an object, which is yeah. interesting. They don't even say it's a balloon. So who the what, what the hell is that thing up there? I don't know. Um, well, obviously it'll be something. But by the time people know this, by the time we read the news tomorrow, we'll know exactly what it was, and it'll sound ridiculous. But yeah, we're we living right in the moment, people. Yeah, let's make some jokes about outdated technology. That's gonna be. <laughs> They, they two shot, weeks from now, it's going to be running the show. They shot a, a Nokia flip phone out of skies, people. <laughs> no one saw it coming. Woodrow says, the story in the villain's acting dragged throughout two episodes only for him to die with an uh-oh, one out of five. Yep. Matt Ross says, the two episodes together are basically a good B-movie sci-fi time travel adventure with a fish out of water trope. Ed Begley Jr. is the bad guy and his ability to create our tech from future tech was fun, as was Sarah Silverman's naive astronomer and Braxton as a homeless crazy guy was a good take on the trapped time traveler. Tuvok was right. If they did dress in Star Trek uniforms, they'd only be called nerds and no one would really care. We get the mobile emitter and the doctors being able to take out sessionists and everyone else Everything. Everyone else was also a good time. But why take a Vulcan on an away mission to 20th century Earth? 3.5 pulpy adventures out of five. Two more. Rayo says, you know, not enough Star Trek Technobabble is given by crazy homeless hobos. I'd rather be willing to buy the phrase whole plating is offline if it came from Hobo Braxton. We also find that Janeway gets a headache from time paradoxes, which means she was able to, she was being a dick to Tom Paris during Pal- Parallax when he was equally confused about that paradox because she <laughs> smugly put him down in front of everyone. Do you know that once they put me in a mental institution and filled me with primitive pharmaceuticals? Lines like this are gold and equal to those in Star Trek IV. Apparently in Rain's office in the Griffith Observatory near the window, they have a model of Khan's ship. So they're both acknowledging the eugenics war and ignoring it at the same time. Four quasi-Cardassian totalitarians out of five. I liked the quasi-Cardassian totalitarian line when he calls the cop. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, Undiscovered Mugato final comment says, This one has it all. Sarah Silverman, Ed Begley Jr., Griffith Griffith Observatory, Doomsday Hobos from the Future, Tea Party Survivalists, Cramped as Hell Timeships, The Doctor Punching the Shit Out of a Guy in a Limo, Tuvok Saving His Do-Rag from a Laser Blast, A Guy (laughs) with a Face Tattoo Commenting on How Strange Spiked Hair Looks. That's a good point. But what it doesn't have is much fun. They say they might have been aiming for Star Trek IV, but they hit a Freakosaurus. Two torpedoes only Janeway could launch out of five. There we go. The answer to my question was the final comment. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Clay, that was a widespread of twos to fours. Uh, it was, right there. yeah. But what are you going to give this one on a scale of one to five? Uh, I'm going to give it a two. Yeah. It's a two for me as well. Um, I think, you know, he brings up a, the last comment brought up a good point about the tattoo thing. Like, I feel like the joke is... Chakotay makes a crack about someone's hair and then someone else is like, dude, face tattoo? Yeah. Because like that wasn't a thing in the 90s. That didn't, well, and yeah. It was, it's still like 10 years before Mike, uh, Mike Tyson gets C- his face tattoo. Certainly not a guy in a baggy 90s suit. No. not going to be yeah, having the face definitely. tattoo. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I'm, I'm going to give this one a two as well. Um, I, I found this one really hard to make it through. Obviously, uh, I just, it didn't, didn't have anything to grab me. The villain was unconvincing. I thought that their whole journey, like the whole the whole drive behind the technology in the 90s was not interesting enough for me to continue. Um, just really felt like a stretch. The, the moments that held my attention where I thought that some of the jokes were okay in the era and stuff like that, but hmm. not enough to make me want to spend two episodes there. So that yeah. is what it is. Yeah, I, I kind of, <clears throat> I found myself thinking towards the end of it, this does feel like it could have been a movie but it's like it's it's just not up to snuff for it to be that like because that right it would be a terrible movie yeah like when they get towards the end when they start blowing stuff up it does feel more like oh this sort of feels like they're going for like a bigger movie kind of vibe but it's just they don't they can't the scaffolding isn't isn't there to support it yeah yeah yep I'm going to give it a two. Clay gives it a two. That's it for this one, which is Future's End. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Patreon.com slash Lipensky file if you want to support us there. The next episode is 
Warlord. So see everybody then. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Check out all the other things that are happening, like the Badass Podcast and Rotten Horror Picture Show, and follow us on Patreon, where we're covering video nasties, the nastiest videos conservative that, that, that Britain ever <laughs> w- witnessed or, I guess, didn't witness because they were illegal. Yeah. Uh, what's the earliest video nasty you're doing? Like, what year did it come out? Uh, I think we're... I think we're well. One of them is Last House on the Left, which is Wes Craven's first movie, and that's got to be seventy nine. Okay, seventy eight. It's probably seventy nine. That's the thing is these movies they were released on in the theaters, but it it was the the fact that when they were put on video, that's yeah. when they got dead. too ex- right too accessible to the public. Yeah. So like, Last House on the Left might not have gotten dinged for five years. You know. Right after it came out in theaters. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this one. We are done. We'll be back with Warlord. See ya.